Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. I didn't go see anybody. I didn't talk to anybody about it. If I had, if I had talked, went and talked at least to a doctor, I could have started to get treated for bipolar before it totally blew my life up. And, you know, one of the things I encourage pastors to do is get help if you know you're struggling with something. That is Pastor Brad Hoffs describing his experience with leading a large church and experience episodes of bipolar. The name of this program is Life Support. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was Derek. a golden boy. All we can do right now is come Extreme together. Extreme domestic violence, multiple rapes. Welcome to Life Support, hosted by Pastor Paul Johnson from Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. My name is Steve Johnson, director of Five Stone Media, co-sponsor of this program, and our goal, as always, is to use story to bring hope and healing. And now let's join the conversation with Pastor Paul. Hey, so good to have you here on Life Support. What we do is we tell stories because we want you to find a deeper relationship with Jesus, even through suffering and trauma, because we know we live in a broken world but we know that Jesus can walk us through the pain that we experience. And so really glad to have as our guest, Brad Hoffs, who's the founder and the president of Fresh Hope for Mental Health. And Brad, thank you so much for being with us again. We had a fascinating talk last time regarding bipolar, and then we worked into mental health and how it interacts with people in the church and so forth. But I want to talk more specifically about some of the things you've gone through. You were a prominent pastor in a growing church. You were probably the envy of a lot of pastors that are looking at their attendance sheets every Sunday and probably going like, what's he doing down there? But then things didn't kind of work out like a fairy tale, did they? No, no. Uh, In 1994, I think we were the... 13th fastest growing Protestant church in North America. And I was doing tons of traveling and speaking. I had really lived up to that point in my life. I I was 36 years old at that point. And I had become the senior pastor when I was 29. We had gone from 800 people to over 3,000 people in worship. And I was very driven. I was driven. And um, I lived on the upside of life. Everything was positive. Everything could be done. I loved challenges. I could, I could work faster than anybody else on my staff. I could go to a hotel room, lock myself up for three days, come out with six months worth of work and all my sermons planned out for a year. And I could just, you know, I could be creative and get it done. And little did I know that um, probably until about the age of 34, I was living in a hypomanic state. And there are, they say that 70% of successful CEOs have this issue. And in fact, there's a book, I can't even remember what it's called right now, but talking about CEOs and 
Hibernia. And but if that's true of CEOs, I bet you that's also true of pastors of growing churches. Um, you know, where there are large mega churches that um, I know a number of young guys that I would say, man, they're driven. And that reminds me of myself. You know, everything's go, 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 energy, energy, energy. And um, what hypomania is almost like a personality trait, they say. And for most people that are not prone to bipolar disorder, they can successfully live with that and never crash and burn or anything. But I had the perfect storm. And when we were relocating our church, we were having to fight the city to relocate it to a manufacturing plant. And it just added stress. Well, stress and uh, the hypomania that I was living in, it was the perfect storm. And that's when at about age 34, 35, I started getting really um, manic. And then I was just, it was, I was trying to manage like a monster inside of me. And like a typical pastor or typical for my denomination, at least, I wasn't about to tell anybody about that struggle. I figured if I told somebody was going to take me out of my position or it was going to ruin my reputation or whatever. And so I only said one thing to one person. And my wife, though, saw all the behavior. She saw how I was changing and how out of control I was. And then I was doing things. It was like if I acted out in certain ways, I could manage the monster within me. And but thank God. And I, I mean, there were times I would be driving in my car. I like to drive on country roads and I would turn my lights out and I would open my car doors going about 70 miles an hour or my car door by me and stick my foot out. I, I just crazy things like that. Or, um, I, you know, I, I honestly believe that if I would have jumped off a building, I'd be fine. You know, I, I really somehow in that going from having a lot of energy and drive, it went to way out of control energy and drive. And at the same point, I was scared to death, but I didn't go see anybody. I didn't talk to anybody about it. If I had, if I had talk, went and talked at least to a doctor, I could have started to get treated for bipolar before it totally blew my life up. And, you know, one of the things I encourage pastors to do is get help if you know you're struggling with something. And I realize that pastors have to go someplace that's safe, that's not going to out them, so to speak. But my life blew up May 13th, 1995. And I was ticketed for inappropriate behavior in a place that I still to this day don't believe I was doing what I was accused of or anything like that. But I take full responsibility for it and I've paid a huge price for it, much worse than it and burned. And uh, sooner or later, I was forced out. And of course, you find out that your reputation is really 
today I really don't care what people think. Mm -hmm. I care what God thinks about me. Mm -hmm. But I was using ministry. The church was my idol. And I was proving how good I was, so to speak, by what I could do for God. And um, I think the Lord ripped the idol out of my hands. We'll be back to the conversation with Paul and Brad in just a moment. You know, Pastor Paul is a survivor himself of family trauma, and that's what life support is all about, survivors in discussion with other survivors. My name is Steve Johnson, Executive Director of Five Stone Media, and we are honored to be a co-sponsor of this program. And for more about our work, you can log on to www.com lifesupportresources.org. And now back to Pastor Paul. And burned, and uh, sooner or later I was forced out. And of course, you find out that your reputation is really, today I really don't care what people think. Mm -hmm. I care what God thinks about me. Mm -hmm. But I was using ministry, the church was my idol. And I was proving how good I was, so to speak, by what I could do for God. And um, I think the Lord ripped the idol out of my hands. Yeah, it, that's so poignant for pastors from two levels. Like, I'm hearing you talk, and I'm feeling a lot of conviction about, you know, uh, thoughts, things that I struggle with that I just won't tell anybody about. And it comes from fear. It comes from pride, probably legitimate fear at some level, because there is a a dangerous path that you can go down where things get blown out of proportion. But there's always a doctor, you know, 30 miles away that, you know, you can go see or something. But here's the other thing that I want to just talk about. For those of you who are listening and You've got a pastor who you're maybe critical of or you may love, it doesn't matter. Help create a culture where that man will or that woman will feel like they're safe. Because pastors do not feel safe. The the criticism, the judgment I don't think people realize, Brad, the ratio between criticism and encouragement is about 90 to 10. Yes. And, you know, and I don't mean to complain, but that's a reality. And so I think there are a lot of pastors that have just been driven into themselves, if you know what I mean by that. It's very hard for them to come out of that to be open and vulnerable when they've spent their whole careers kind of guarding against criticism and and all that stuff that comes at them. It's a really difficult cycle to break. Well, and what I found in the Christian church, and someday, don't steal this title from me, someday, I want to write a book called Shame-Based Grace. And I really believe that the Christian church needs to wake up and have a new reformation. And it needs to start with grace for clergy, grace for leaders. And we're living in the opposite kind of climate of the culture right now. One mistake, you could have made it 30 years ago, 
and you're going to get called out and you're going to lose your present job and any potential future jobs due to something stupid you did 30 years ago. That's not God. That's not grace. That's not mercy. That's, you know, and, and I think sooner or later, the world is going to turn to the Christian church and need that grace. They're going to need forgiveness, new beginnings, fresh starts. Fortunately, I had one friend, and I had a wife and family who believed in forgiveness and love and grace and mercy and understood that it was mental illness. It was not something I was trying to hide or protect. I was mentally ill. And, um, but also, I had a friend who was a pastor, and he kept going to Galatians and saying, in Galatians, it says, let those who are spiritual um, bring back or re reaffirm those who have fallen. And we just have this mentality that one mistake or two were, and really, it's only certain mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> it's only certain things. And, you know, thank God for Jesus. I mean, for that we can get fresh starts, that we can, you know, everything I never wanted anybody to think about me, they thought. My situation caused such difficulties for people who didn't like me to begin with because I was involved in really helping the church transition from pipe organs to worship teams. <laughs> and, and I was an organist. I mean, so I, but, Man, did I have haters. Well, that just gave them all the more reason to say, see, that's what happens, blah, blah, blah. In fact, one time I started reading a book about um, something about the dark side of leadership or whatever, and I started reading it, and there I was in chapter two, my story. I was so angry with the author. He had never met me or anything. I called him. I called him and said, you never met me. How would you know? You're telling a story like it's factual and you don't know, you know, anyway, um, the, the, and that's why we're passionate in Fresh Hope right now. There's a, we have a pastor in, um, uh, your brothers met him, uh, Jason Moore in uh, St. Louis, and we have applied for a large grant. We're hoping that we get it where we can actually give pastors the experience of being in supportive groups with one another where they can talk about anything. And we realize that that's going to have to have anonymity. It's going to have to, we don't even know exactly how we're going to do it. But we're committed to really saying to pastors, if you don't talk about it and you don't get it out, even for instance, pastors, don't realize how much secondhand trauma we have and then how much firsthand trauma we have just from the bad things that people do and hurtful things that they do. Um, and our families suffer because of it. Now that's not to say there aren't good things with ministry. There are, there are. Absolutely. And it's, it's worth serving the Lord, but I think the Lord would like even healthier pastors. But you know what, Brad? Even just saying what you said seems disloyal to the church because we are called to love the church, and we do love the church. 
We do. So to even say, well, this is really hard, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is, well, it's hard for everybody. Everybody has a hard job. And I'm, I'm supposed to sacrificially just give, give, give. And it feels, it feels almost like I am turning on my church to admit that I am struggling with aspects of my church. And I think other pastors feel that way, too. Absolutely. Um, interestingly enough, uh, before our church uh, went to doing Fresh Hope full time, we basically had a, a, a church war that went on. And this time I had nothing. There was nothing I did wrong, <laughs> you know, and I was experiencing it like pastors experience it where one person got offended because I held that person accountable for something they did. They got offended and they got about seven or eight other people to carry their offense also. And so those people were mad at me, but I hadn't done anything. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think we have to be honest about the church. The church on this side of heaven is perfect. And we learn to love imperfect people and imperfect things like the church because that's where we're at on this side of heaven. And um, we're lying to ourselves and we're deceiving others if we're not telling the truth. Now you have to tell the truth in love and the things we speak about, you know, when it, if it's your church or my church or whatever, it's still in love, just like we would speak about our spouse. I love my wife, I do. And, and I would do anything for her, but she's not perfect. And I'm not perfect. And the only way to have a great marriage is to recognize the imperfections and to work through them and process them together. And instead, you know, I, I looked up when we were going through this church where I looked up, I wanted to see about sheep who eat the shepherd. <laughs> I really did. I, yeah. And all I could find were books about shepherds that abuse sheep. And I really want to write a book about how sheep can eat their own shepherd and beat up and scar the shepherd because it's, you know, I think people forget that we are just like them, yeah. you know, we, and I, I believe that pastoring, whether even whether it's Christian or clergy in and of themselves, period, any denomination, any faith have a unique job that is hard to equal in the secular world. Um, because even the caring professions that are out there that are in the secular world have limitations to where people cannot call them, cannot contact them, and they can always say, I'm no longer going to see you, or I'm, we don't live in that kind of world. They can get a hold of us 24-7. <laughs> yeah, they can. And again, um, it's not about loving the church. And, you know, and we want to walk humbly with God. We want to hear things that were, you know, a pastor that's living in arrogance and has no one around them to keep them accountable is not going to be good for anyone. And I think the vast majority of uh, of pastors that I've met and hang around with are humble. They They know they need accountability, but there's very few people that they're allowing into that world because of the things that people have said or done. How did you work your way out of this 
thing that you were going through, this spiraling disaster that happened? Now, after the crash and burn and when it's in the news and everybody thinks the worst that they can think about you and you're thinking the worst that you can think about you and you're suicidal and all that kind of stuff. Basically, what happened is I, I, I started a road to figuring out who I was, separate of ministry. Ministry was like my idol. And I had to really stop identifying myself by what I did. And it was, that was really hard work that I am who I am separate of what I do for a living or what I do for the Lord or any of those things. That's hard for any guy, any guy, no matter what you do for a living, that's a tough, tough road to go down. Oh yeah. Yeah. And because of that, that was the beginning. And then to find um, just satisfaction in my relationship with the Lord and not make it be about ministry. It, it, it wasn't going to be another sermon. It wasn't, you know, where I had to just say, I am a being, not a doing. And um, so I had to work long and hard on that. And my, my doctor suggested things like find three hobbies that you can lose yourself in. Well, one of them was golfing. That did not work. I, I hit the ball one time and it hit my buddy in the head. And um, so I ended up refining baking cakes. And 40 pounds later, I had the perfect cake recipe. And, um, and then I paint. And those are, painting is really the key hobby where I can lose myself and just be, and, and not feel um, like I have to do something. And um, so it, it started there. It started with some counseling, but a lot of reading. Um, I had, I really would say my emotional age was not the same as my uh, age, my actual age, my physical age. And so I did work with that. And, um, but the freeing thing is, is I have pretty much my life, the way you see it, the way I'm talking to you and telling you is there's no big difference between what I am when I'm not with somebody versus what I am when I'm with them. And um, I, don't, I don't have to worry about what other people think. And, and I, I still am a people pleaser. I still yeah. have problems with that, but not, not as bad. Well, you, it sounds to me like you're doing well and you're very brave. And what, where can we find Fresh Hope for Mental Health? this amazing ministry that you're doing? Yeah, just go to freshhope.us. And um, at freshhope.us, you can see things about four pastors, et cetera. But um, I would encourage any listeners that are uh, leaders in churches, pastors and their spouses to be watching for um, the up and coming pastors, or Fresh Hope for Pastors is what we're calling it. And um, we will even have trauma healing groups for clergy and their spouses to just help them process the trauma of ministry. And you've already said you're going to write that book, so now you have to get on that. And you, you now, now you, we are going to keep you accountable to your well, book. We, we have 
two books right now. And as the first one is Fresh Hope, Living Well in Spite of a Mental Health Diagnosis. And the second book is coming out this summer. It's called um, Holding to Hope, Staying Sane While Loving Someone with a Mental Illness. Oh, that's awesome. Brad, thank you so much for being with us. It's very much appreciated. Thank you for your courage and all you're doing. Thank you very much. Appreciate being with you. That's Brad Hoffs. And, you know, I was thinking about, as we were talking about Psalm 27.1, it's a very familiar verse. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And so if you feel like you're living in a shell, if you feel like you're not being honest with who you really are, and you get help, God will be there with you. He's not going to leave you by the side of the road. He is your salvation. He is your protection. He is the stronghold that you can hold on to. And so I would just encourage you to not be afraid to face those things that are coming at you. And please pray for your pastor. Even if you don't like him or her, just pray for them. And it's okay if you don't like them. We don't all like everyone, but we're all made in the image of God, and that prayer would be really important. I want to thank you for listening to Life Support. We tell stories here about finding a deeper relationship with Christ during trauma. And we have a great partner in Faith Radio. Uh, We appreciate them so much at MyFaithRadio.com. You can see a video version of this podcast at FiveStoneMedia.com. And I pastor Ridgewood Church, and if you'd like to support the ministries of Ridgewood, including the production of this Life Support podcast, you can find giving information at myrwc.org slash give. Thanks again for being here, and we'll catch you next time on Life Support. Thanks for listening to this Life Support podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at myfaithradio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Life Support, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of Life Support.